0: If you enjoy and would love to support this podcast, please check us out on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com forward slash AA Opera. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 54 of AA Opera Podcast. Wow, that was energized. Yes!
1: That was energised. Woohoo! We are here. We've showed up. Thanks for showing up and listening here today. Um, we have a great podcast for you. But first off, have you, how's your week been? My week's
0: been fine. I have started habit tracking and I noticed that I've done, well I haven't noticed, I know I've done now yoga for 27 days, which is I'm very proud of. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste, everybody. <laughs> um, and also, we are we started watching Wandavision. If you watched Wandavision?
1: Not even heard okay, of it.
0: Wandavision is like a new Marvel series TV show on Disney Plus. I think Lewis would like it. Okay,
1: it's funny you say that. I mean, neither of us. Oh God, this is an unpopular opinion. Ooh. Neither of us are real Marvel fans, to be honest. Oh, okay. Um, but that, that might surprise work. you. That might surprise you. But um, yeah. Well, I
0: think this one specifically you might like because it's like it starts off kind of like I Love Lucy. It like sucks you in that way. Like that's how I got sucked in. Like okay. I haven't. Wa- I used to really love Marvelville, and then I kind of like dropped off the face of the the earth, and I was like, Ugh, I just can't stand it anymore. And then anyway, so then Wandavision came out, and I was like, oh, this looks great. This looks right up my alley. All right, start watching it, and then I realized I had missed so much information to like plug into the show.
1: I think that's the so, problem with it is that you can't just like hop in. You have to go, yeah, like from from the start. It's a little bit like Star Wars in that sense, just because you talked about Disney Plus, like you, and that like hops back and goes forward, and I, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So
0: then, yeah. So then we start watching it, and then. I was like, oh, I'm missing some information. So now we had five movies we had to update ourselves on. So now we're watching one movie a night. I'm feeling very empowered by superheroes right now.
1: That's what you need. It's the Mary (sighs) Bevan
0: power stance. Do you remember? She talked about that. Exactly. That's what I was thinking about. I did that with (laughs) my student yesterday. I have a student who's like not as confident as she should be because she knows it. So I was like, print out a picture of your best friend. All right. And put it on your computer screen or put it on your desk and just tell them they're amazing. Just like you would tell them, that's what you have to hear yourself. So I was like, wow, I really need to take my own advice sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good, cool.
0: But yeah, how's your week been?
1: Yeah, fine. Um, also just, you know, spending a lot of time watching Netflix. But since the last episode, I have been reading a lot more. I've taken Ah. some time just to, instead of scrolling in the morning, like it's so easy just to turn over, turn the alarm off and just scroll through the phone. And I've just been like, the alarm's been off. And I'm like, don't touch the phone for the first hour of the morning. And it's just life changing. So I've been reading um, Michelle Obama's autobiography. I'm loving it.
0: What are you up to?
1: So I've, I went back all the way back to the beginning just to like take it in a bit more. So she's um she's just finished doing all of her piano competitions. It's like I'm on chapter three or something. I'm quite a slow reader.
0: That's fine. So am I. So am I. <laughs> I listened to that on audiobook. I listened to her talking to me about her life. Mm. I found it was interesting.
1: Yeah. Cool. Shall we kick off this week's podcast?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should. Yes, we should. <laughs> This week's episode, we have our fantastic guest, we have Nicola Candelish, and she is the CEO of BYO, the British Youth Opera.
1: It was so, so great to chat to Nicola, Um, but little disclaimer, (laughs) because we were so ahead of the game, this was actually recorded all the way back in the simpler times of November 2020. Um, which wasn't that long ago but I feel like you know we're pretty much in the same position
0: it's funny how we say simpler times because was it simpler it feels like it was just
1: (laughs) I I feel it was just there was more hope in the days of November there was more hope
0: yes that there's true yeah there's more hope everyone was like doing things in November whereas now we're like yeah because we knew that the lockdown was only going to be like a month that's what we were told That's right.
1: But Nicola is full of energy and has some great information to share all about British Youth Opera. Enjoy. Here you go. Right. Well, Nicola, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to AA Opera. It's great to have another Geordie with us today. Um, Would you like to start off by just introducing yourself to our listeners?
2: Sure. Thank you very much for having me. Um, My name is Nicola Candlish. I am Chief Exec of British Youth Opera. Uh, My background is as a stage manager, and I've worked in opera, ballet, musical theatre, panto, straight plays, all sorts of things um, all over the world. I have a BA and a PhD in music from Durham. and My PhD is in electronic music, which doesn't fit in any way to anything that I do now, but um, why be dull? Um, I am a founder director of Opera UK, which I can tell you a little bit more about in a bit. in my spare time, I do a lot of volunteering with Girl Guiding. That's incredible.
0: I I just learned what Girl Guiding is. I think it's funny that every country has a completely different name for it.
2: <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's the same. It's just guides the scouts and like worldwide everyone. Yeah. Has it's name.
0: funny because in like the UK and in America, that's divided between boys and girls. Like you guys have, whereas in Israel, it's just like, yeah, all of you together, this entire age group, everyone together. But... Can you tell us a little bit about your first experience with opera?
2: Yeah, so um, my first experience with opera would have been at university when we had to study. It was either flute or figaro, and that's how much I remember about it and how much of an impact it had on me. Not a great deal. Um, I don't think that the the academic study of opera was the bit that really excited me. Um, Several years later, I was doing admin to fund my PhD Um, I was living in London and I did a bit of admin for a small opera company that's no longer around Um, and one day I had to sell programs and I ended up talking to the stage manager who said why the heck are you working in the office you should be a stage manager and I went okay then Um, did a bit more research and realized that yes actually I really did want to be a stage manager and that had been something that I'd not realized was a job so all through uni I had effectively produced stage managed Production managed all sorts of different shows and just not realised that they were a job. So, one of the things I um, want to do most in my career is to make sure that people realise that you can actually work in theatre and opera that isn't being the performers. Because you know what it's like as singers when you're on the stage, there's more people behind the, st- the scenes than there are actually visible to the audience. Or in the pit, you know, there's so many people make up the whole that um, that's one of my biggest dreams is that everyone will realize that it's much bigger than
1: it looks oh yeah i love that i mean we've tried to do that on this podcast to not just bring singers on but bring people from all branches of the industry on um just to show that there's so much more than just the the final product which you see on the actual stage <laughs>
2: definitely yeah totally agree with you
1: um, so you said at the start there that you've worked in like musical theater, straight plays, and as a stage manager. Um we were wondering what was the catalyst to decide to pursue just opera? Um, oh, that's
2: a good one. Um, so I, I could always score read, and to be an opera stage manager, you've got to be able to score read. You're not going to get very far unless you can follow the script, for us, the score. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with a play, if you can read English, you're fine. Uh, most musicals are are run through the script. Occasionally, if there's a big musical number, you might get a musical number, like the dots chucked in. Um, but often stage management in musicals aren't like native score readers so i found it very very easy to to wander into opera and just like oh yeah this is fine <laughs> to me reading a score is like reading english um i didn't realize that i don't know what the situation is like now with COVID, but there used to be a real shortage of opera stage managers who because probably because of one of those reasons and also that were happy to stand up and stop and start orchestral rehearsals because in um, the dynamic between the director and the conductor is something that you only really get in opera and ballet. You don't get that in musical theatre. The director is in charge and the MD is sort of like second fiddle in a, in an, in a musical theatre world. So that dynamic of managing the two was just something that I found very easy and, and it worked. So I got my first stage management jobs in opera. And because I'd done that one, that led to other ones and then it sort of spiralled out of there. There was a point in my career where I I could see, looking back now, where if I'd made a slightly different decision on one job, I probably would have been more in the West End than I am in Mm. opera, but it's life's like that, you take one decision and open one door one side instead of the other one and it's just where you go. It was never like, I'm going to work in opera. And I remember sitting down a few years ago thinking, how the hell am I here? I was not interested in opera at all, I didn't grow up like in opera. I mean, my family like GNS, and so I saw a lot of GNS, which I, I still love. Um, I'd love to, to change the way that's thought of in the opera community as well. It's totally Yeah, hilarious. I was
0: just about to say, like, it's always the, the opera community is like, oh, but GNS. Mm, I'm like, yes, it's right like on. a gateway tea drug to something else. We don't know, but. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you completely. I think GNS is like just one of the most fun shows to do.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so accessible as well. Like the humor is still really valid. Some of the gags maybe need a little bit of sensitive tweaking nowadays, which is very valid. But it's still funny. Like all the political drama. Like watch Ayolambe. is uh, it's
0: happening now. Like yeah. <laughs> so you did your PhD as you were telling us before on electronic music. And can you tell us a little bit more about th- that and why you decided to
2: do a PhD? Sure, Um, I definitely was a Panic Masters student. I got to the end of my degree when I... World? Life? No thanks, I'll stay in Durham, thank you very much. Um, And Durham's like a little bubble. It's very easy to get wound up in, I'm sure lots of unis are like this, where there's societies, there's colleges, there's clubs, there's all sorts of different stuff, I think, but but I could continue doing all these fun things. So I did, Um, I started my masters and about, I don't know, about sort of halfway through that year, we had a lecture on a particular paper. Someone gave a paper about the subject that I ended up studying and I went, this is so exciting. So my PhD was on the efforts to establish a national studio for electronic music in Britain. And it was all about between the 1940s and the 1980s how if you wanted to make electronic music you had to go to a university and use the big mainframe computer and that was like an entire like think of the imitation game like an entire wall of computer just to create like a minute of music if that maybe a few seconds and how it was all about the slight politics really about how there was no funding available for electronic music and people used to make machines out of bits that they found lying around and all like them. And I got really into that. So in the end, I didn't actually write, I didn't quote any bits of score or any live music in my PhD at all. It was purely like the socioeconomic situation. And, and I recognised that there was no written history of this situation in the UK. So when I did my PhD, there was loads of information about America, France and Germany, which if you've studied music, you'll know about um, Pierre Schaeffer and Karl-Heinz Stockhausen. You never hear about the people in the UK. I also got really excited because I discovered that the Doctor Who theme tune was composed by a woman and that's not credited at all. So then I got on my feminist high horse and started trying to fix that. Um, And midway through when I was studying, Doctor Who got really popular again. This was in the mid noughties and it was suddenly all over everything and it became like a massive cult thing. And now there's a thing called Delia Derbyshire Day, which which is celebrating Delia who composed the theme tune and that started me thinking about who gets the credit for writing electronic music? Because Mozart wrote something. Mozart wrote the music, great. Right? Daponte wrote the lyrics. Fabulous. With electronic music, there's, somebody has the idea for the structure of it. Of it it's, you know We're going to have this bit followed by this bit, followed by this bit, which might be like ABA form. But then somebody else needs the technical skill to twiddle the dials, to cut up the tape, to put the information into the computer. Which one of those has the creative power over that music? Is it the person who said, I think we should do it like this and try and make it sound like this? Or is it the person who actually, literally their fingers moved the dials? And that is the debate. So Ron Grainer, who ran the BBC Radio Funnet Workshop, got the credit because it was his idea to do it. But actually Delia did the work.
1: Oh, that is I very, so. very interesting. <laughs> I feel like, can I go and, yeah, can, I can I go and read your thesis? <laughs> yes, I just <laughs> give me my name. Um, and do you think the the study of your phd and like the what what did you take from that to kind of translate it
2: into your career today so my phd took a very long time um i think it took nine years in the end part-time and I remember partway through it thinking, I just can't be bothered with this anymore. I am done with studying. I never want to do it again. And I was on tour as a stage manager and I used to try and write bits like while I was traveling and like on days off and things. And eventually I just said, you know what, you're just going to have to finish it because you'll hate yourself if you don't finish it. So I finished it, handed it in, got it great and then completely ignored it for about five years because I was so tired of it. And I hear that that's actually really common with people who've done PhDs. That's such hard work Um, that that happens. I find now that in my current job I have to write things like arts council reports and I have to bring together a whole lot of ideas to write a strategy and those skills are like a PhD. Like the PhD was a big empty void of nothing and I had to come up with the idea and write it and pull it all together. It had to be credible, it had to make sense. So particularly this year when BYO's entire plans were scuppered by COVID, I had a big empty void of nothing and had to come up with a plan. And I thought, oh, this is very familiar. And when you have to write reports to funders, to, to, we are funded by the Arts Councils, so we have um, responsibilities to report to them. And it, that is like writing that coherent argument, that, that structured work. So although the direct knowledge about how table recorders work is not relevant, um, some of the skills that I learned while doing it definitely are
0: that is actually really interesting it's funny because it's things that we don't think about but as even as um singers we have to be able to create and put like very um well worded arguments together so that people either fund us or an application gets through it and we can get an audition like it's something that yeah it doesn't seem like we need it but we actually really do need to know how to write well and how to like present an argument. That's actually a really good point for
2: singers as well. It's a whole lot of things in life that you have no idea what you've picked up along the way. And those are the things that are going to drive your, yeah drive the rest of your career success.
0: 100%. I want to jump into BYO. So for our listeners who don't know what BYO is, it's British youth opera. Um, And as the CEO of BYO, what is the vision of the company and what is BYO for those people
2: who don't know what it is cool so I'll start by explaining what BYO is um first off it's not for children BYO is the bridge between training and the profession um we are currently looking at our name because it's for years people people ring the office and say my daughter's 11 like "Mm, sorry not for you um it's tricky because it's a 35 year old company and everyone within the business knows who we are but outside the business it's difficult to tell people as you said like some of your listeners might not know so we we do traditionally a couple of opera performances, full-scale productions, costumes set, lights in a theatre, um, fully stage directed, mimicking the real world in the summer holidays. So we hold auditions in the in January, February, and we cast two shows from that. And then the it takes about a about hundred young people youngish um they get a real life experience of what it's really like um and lots of people credit BYO as the place where they got an agent the place where they got noticed the place where um they were then called back to an audition so it's it's really really valid it's for 18 plus singers so we often will find that our chorus is as undergrads so people who are not studying at a conservatoire who are um, great singers but not not very far through the singing training process. And our principals, are master students, uh, opera school students, recent graduates, the, but the, the key thing is that they're bridging the gap between training and the profession. They're not actually a professional yet. They are on that awkward bit where you've graduated, you're ready to work, you're good enough, but no one's gonna give you that opportunity. And BYO does that. So we put people on a big stage in a proper, proper venue that you, you know, proper audience come and see you and you get noticed. So that's kind of what we do we also do around that workshops and we have a new training program called the Serena Fennec program which is aiming to support singers who aren't following that traditional route who currently aren't in education who for whatever reason don't commit to nine to five Monday to Friday training so it's six weekends over six months covering all sorts of different skills like stagecraft like working with text like Mozart recit movement dance all sorts of stuff and then that will culminate in a showcase at Easter. We did try this last year, but obviously the showcase was lost to the great pandemic. Um, it's really important to remember that BYO was not just about singers. We recognise that opera is a whole ecosystem and we train every single part of it. So for, we will have a professional director, designer, conductor and lighting designer and a professional production manager and senior stage manager and costume supervisor. And then everybody else is a trainee. So, your costumes might have been made by somebody, one of your peers, who's studying costume. Your, your, the assistant director who runs a cover show will be one of your peers. So, it's a really lovely place. And we found that over the years, lots of little companies have sprung up from people who have done BYO together. So, it's lovely in the sort of winter after the performances, you get an email saying, We've, We, we um, formed this little collective on our BYO project, and we're now doing a show at this theatre. Would you like to come? And I love that it's so nice. Um yeah, and it's we've got something like 5000 alumni and if you look at the cast list of any major house worldwide there's there's someone from there
1: Yeah. So it really is the kind of that bridge between um kind of study and the the professional world which is absolutely fantastic to be providing that opportunity to to your to young singers i'm putting in <laughs> covers um but um yeah especially during these times with coronavirus and everything how how is that working if you don't mind me asking with the workshops are they all online at the moment
2: so the, the one thing we have running through the winter is the serena Fennec program and that we were supposed to start on face-to-face last saturday but that was the start of lockdown so that was done on zoom uh, we're hoping that at least from the third weekend onwards, we'll be able to be face to face, but we just got to play it like it played it by ear, um, you know, as time progresses. It's been designed, the program's been designed this year, knowing that that might have to be the case, so we've just got to see how it goes. We did lose all of our training last summer because of COVID, and we took everything online and did a two week summer festival where we trained over 200 young people in something like 150 zoom calls it was huge and we had master classes from sarah Connolly, from tom allen from felicity Lott, from roddy williams it was fabulous and you know loads of our byo friends and supporters like susan bullock like nikki spence came and did sessions for us and it was absolutely phenomenal we did a whole week of training for stage managers and potential I don't know what I want to do but it wanted to be an opera people which is um, which is always good fun because they're the kind of people who end up working in marketing and production in opera they just love it and then don't you know they know they don't want to be a singer but they find their way and I really hope that we've helped some young people find their way this year
1: yeah I mean we've seen it with this podcast as well it's amazing to see some of the biggest names in opera just kind of coming together and willing to help young singers and willing to talk and willing to help it's it's really fantastic um but as you work very closely with um young artists what do you think the biggest challenge is that they face aside from corona you know it doesn't have to be linked to that we can (laughs) talk about just generally like what are the biggest challenges
2: I think the biggest challenges for young singers are the quantity of singers emerging from training versus the amount of work that there is um, in prior years, it was certainly the case that you might expect to get some chorus work and then you might go and get a, a like a contract on tour or in a in a bigger house in a chorus you might go to Germany and work in a young artist program those options are slowly being stripped away through Corona, through Brexit, through all sorts of different things. And certainly Corona will have a funding impact for years. Like even if we're allowed to do work soon, it won't be to the same extent because the money just isn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say that all young singers really face that issue of you've got to have a second thing. You've got to have a portfolio career, whatever you want that to be is fine. I know singers who are accountants, yoga teachers, all sorts of stuff. And there's the usual teaching singing, teaching piano Mm -hmm. um, to you know kids, to students younger than them. Yeah, you've got to have that portfolio career and be absolutely hard as nails. Be completely resilient and able to cope with the fact that the thing you really, really, really want to do is probably not going to be your major income for quite a while. And even when it is, who really has the resilience in their body and their strength as a singer to actually sing all the time? You know, there was this old you know saying resting actors they do need to rest you can't sing every day like that you can't do you know there's a reason we don't do back-to-back performances um yeah so i think the major challenges are going to be the portfolio career and how the the world is going to change so the strategy for BYO going forward has had to change a little in the last year but um the major strategy is that we want to help as many people bridge the gap between training profession uh, opera is for anyone and everyone it's not just for those people who can afford to go to conservatoire who can afford to be a jobbing singer without anything else Um we charge no fees all of the byo training is absolutely free we even give subsistence a week every week so you get a small cash payment to cover like tra- travel and food it's not a lot but it it's the opposite of paying um the only charge is the application fee which this year is ten pounds so it's the idea is that it really is for absolutely anybody and we're doing a really big drive to get out there and to find people who otherwise wouldn't consider training in opera because we recognize that going to conservatoire really isn't for everybody um and it can be an absolutely terrifying and daunting place if you've never walked into a conservatoire i mean the first day i walked into one it was just terrifying so so getting more people into opera is definitely one of our things and to really recognise and really expand out into the non-singing training. We do it really, really well and we've done it for a long time, but we've never shouted about it. So now we are are working with um, stage managers in the industry to do something for them. Because like I explained earlier, if you can score read, you can pretty much do it, but there was a shortage of stage managers and this year is very difficult to tell where that's going but there will always be a need for people who can properly score read and do opera properly so um to expand beyond the singing training and to try and take our programs for everybody all year round and we've already done that with singers for serena fenwick but we are working on what we can do next for everybody else
0: and it's for undergrad postgrad opera school and then that one year afterwards or how long afterwards are you still included in that
2: so there's no hard and fast rules you've got to be over 18 to take part and then it's depending on which operas we decide to do which we don't decide until we've heard everybody we have a short list but we don't decide exactly what we're going to do until we've heard everybody Um, we then look at who we've got and what the potential of a successful career and opera they have so if they're 19 and show real promise they might get a place Um, if they're 27 and have been trying to start their career for a very very long time and it's not happening they might not but there is no hard and fast rule um it's totally to do what our very experienced panel can see from the singers and we've always been complimented on our casting so fingers crossed a good sense
1: yeah doing something right
2: (laughs) yeah we are doing something right we've always had really great casts so.
0: (laughs) so recently you've launched opera uk What exactly is Opera UK? How did it come about
2: and how can people get involved? Great, so Opera UK is a brand new UK-wide opera organisation. This came about through years and years of discussions. So Opera UK seeks to bring everybody onto the same plane and where everyone can talk and everyone can share ideas. And part of the discussion was with the upcoming departure from the EU is that although the UK are members of Opera Europa, only UK companies can be a member. And without us being in Europe, do we need something for the UK to help us stand out on the world stage? So there's that as well. Um, and it aims to be a real voice for absolutely anybody working in opera. So again, not just singers, any role. Anybody can join as a founder member for three pounds, or you can give us a little bit more if you like. And all the money goes back towards helping us to facilitate this joining up of the sector. Uh, it is just for professionals working in opera at the moment, so you too will count. Um, it's not currently for students at the moment, uh, but we will look at that as we progress. Um, we're all doing this voluntarily. There's seven of us um, founder directors who have worked our bums off since July and pulled this out of the bag to launch at the end of October. So. The first things we'll be doing is is having facilitating big conversations, which will probably be on Zoom, and um, gathering the issues and the immediate problems that need to be dealt with. Of course, most things at the minute are about COVID, but we've got to look to the future and how we can be more inclusive, more representative, uh, make sure everybody has a voice. And what's been lovely about it is a lot of the members are not singers. A lot of the members work in other aspects of opera, and there's like. A group of technicians there's people who work in box office fundraising marketing of course there's creative staff directors conductors music staff educators uh, people who run the school's outreach departments it's really exciting and and the membership is growing every day and I, I couldn't be more proud of it but really watch this space and if you're interested just go to our website opera UK.net.
1: so you've worked in so many different parts of the uh, opera industry could you talk to us about the advantages of working in opera management and what is it that you
2: love about it oh that's a great question um yeah i've done all sorts in opera management i actually used to manage the opera course of the academy before you were both there i imagine ah. um yeah it's <laughs> great i was before my <laughs> Um, I had the that was one of the best jobs I had actually because I got to run the course while there was no theatre, so we got to go all over the place doing our shows in the Hackney Empire and creating venues out of nothing. It was really, really good fun. Um, so what do I like about working in management? I think that it's really challenging, and there is never two days the same. There's always something to deal with. There's always a fire to be fought and, you know, the never ending bushfire that is Corona just keeps on giving. There's always something new. And just when you think you're just about turning the corner, you get locked down, too. Yeah, we all knew it was coming, but it doesn't help until it actually arrives. Um, So you, you can't plan anything at the minute. That's really difficult. But I try to see things positively and that with every challenge you get you can find some positivity in it and i was talking to an opera colleague the other day from a different company about how we've just got to embrace everything that this offers we've got to say well why do we do things like that and i feel that being in the management side and being in the role that i'm in i have a great privilege to be able to make decisions and to say we're going to do it like this now and i am you know some people listen when I talk, people do listen to the boss of companies and that is a privilege, power is a privilege so I am saying things like why does a show need to be at seven o'clock, why do we need to rehearse in the way we do why does this model work, let's just chuck it out the window and start again and with you know with everybody there's great things from the past and most companies have brilliant track records and you know we've got 35 years of experience of doing this the way we do it And you can't just bin all of that because that was an absolutely stupid idea, but you can strip away the constraints and say, okay, then what are we going to do? So I really like the fact that every day is completely different. Nothing is the same and that you get a chance to be a real change maker.
1: Yeah. Shaping the, shaping the future of
2: opera. (laughs) That's a very
0: good answer as well. It's a really great answer. (laughs) Um, And finally, as we like to round up, since this is a podcast geared towards um, young individuals embarking on their careers, Any tips for young individuals who are interested in
2: becoming stage managers and going into that side of the business? Sure. I mean, I didn't train in stage management. You can if you're prior to uni or you want to do a degree in it. You can. Um, There's lots of drama schools that offer stage management training. There's an increasing number of ways to train uh, without going to drama school. And certainly you can do it in a year or two years if you want to do a master's, which I know quite a lot of my colleagues have done. Get as much experience as you can. Um, If you're a student at a university, go and find all the shows that need doing, guaranteed they will want you because seemingly people don't understand what stage management is in an amateur dramatics way. Um, You can, in normal circumstances, write to companies and ask for work experience and try and get as much of that as you can. And at the beginning of my career, I did quite a lot of unpaid I did quite a lot of unpaid and intern-type roles. Um, I was very lucky that I still had my admin job, so I could afford to do that. Again, it's a bit like the portfolio career for a singer. It's not nice that this unpaid level exists, um, and I don't know whether it will come back after COVID. I don't know whether people will be able to just pop in and have a look because of the numbers allowed in buildings. I have no idea, but to try and do as much as you can. Um, and then. If you want to be a stage manager, it's not just about following the score, cueing the music, queuing things. It's about people management. So really think about how you talk to people and how you work in a group and how you lead a group. Um, and usually the stage manager will be younger than the principal stars. And so think, how would you talk to someone who's an opera singer with 50 years of experience? If you talk to them like they're in primary school, that's not going to go down well. So the very best stage managers are those who can be authoritative and, and say, right, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing this and we're going from this point and that's what's happening. And then quietly and calmly saying, it's all right, you stand over there, dear. you? ready? Okay, good. And about understanding that the way you behave and the way you hold yourself, even the way you stand, if you stand with your arms crossed, that gives off a really negative vibe to the people in the room with you. So. It's not acting but there is a sense of putting your game face on. Um, so I would urge all one of these stage managers to think not just about the practical skills and the actual doing of the job but of how you are as a person and how you react in circumstances and how you would deal with the pressure. Because it's incredibly hard work being the person running a stage rehearsal. When you're running out of time, the orchestra are looking at their watch going, oh, brilliant, overtime in five minutes. (laughs) And you're knowing that you've got to stop that rehearsal and there's no way that director's going to want to stop. And then they'll scream at you. Um, It's tough. I'd like to hope that we live in a world whereby you don't say things like ladies and gentlemen, because that doesn't include everybody. And I'd like to think that we can live in a world where the director and the conductor don't scream at you I've certainly seen a lot less of that in the last decade. Um, but those are all things that I hope we can change as things go forward and I hope that we can change the industry to recognise that it's a, it has to be a comfortable working place for everybody and it has to include everybody. So there's no need for yelling and we need to be really inclusive in the terminology we use. And I'm now slapping myself on the wrist for using the wrong terminology proves that we've been out of theaters for too long
1: and we've not done enough this year that's a that's a fantastic answer though and great advice um to aspiring um young managers stage managers and just to finish off could you just share with us where people can find you and opera uk and byo share all of the (laughs) of the
2: links and everything like that sure so if you want to find out more about british youth opera go to byo.org.uk and you can find us on all social media channels as well if you want to find out more about opera uk that's operauk.net and again social media channels if you want to know more about me you lucky thing you can find <laughs> me on linkedin or you can contact me through um, byo or through opera uk um,
1: amazing thanks so much for joining us today nicola it's been a great America. podcast and great to get to know you
2: Thanks, it's been lovely to get to know you two as well.
1: So this week's question was, first opera you ever saw or were in? Cracking question. Always opens the floor.
0: (laughs) Always does, yes. Um, The first opera I ever saw, (laughs) very um, thrown into the deep end right here, but I was... 12 and a half, and um, I it was Don Carlo by Verdi. And I remember I put on, I was very much a sneakers person for a very, very, very long time. So I put on sneakers, I put on jeans, and I put on a t shirt. And I was going with my dad and my brother, and my brother just went, Avi, you can't really wear that to the opera. So then I got all dressed up, left sneakers on, and then he was like, No, you gotta change your sneakers. Every single time we left the house, would be like, Avi, sneakers. That's not you can't you can't wear sneakers then not, nice not today. Not today. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we had pretzels. because uh, you have you get like um like hot pretzels at the opera house in Israel. Um and yeah, I remember it being a lot of dead people on stage right as it started because Duncarler starts with a hanging of like yeah. A bunch of criminals. So, well, just the king thinks that they're criminals. So that was the first opera I saw. The first opera I was intense. in... Intense. Yeah, very intense. First opera I was in was... I was actually a really late bloomer with um, being in a full opera. And it was Magic Flute in... No, yes, it was Magic Flute. And I was the third Knabe.
1: Awesome. What about you? That's cool. Um, So my first experience of opera came by a bit of a fluke. I was on like one of those family trips to London to see all the West End shows, and we were sorting around Common Garden and there was a queue outside the Opera House. They were Cute. like, what's going on there? Oh, so we went to start, it wasn't a long queue, we just like went to see, and then they were like, oh, we've just got kind of on the day tickets available uh, for Puccini's La Rondine, um, and we just had no clue. That was my first time in an opera house. First time seeing an opera. And how old was I? I reckon I was about 12, 13. Same. Um, and it, yeah, it was just mind blown. Uh, the Obviously, the whole experience, seeing your first opera at the Royal Opera House, was just like incredible. Yeah, that and is I, thought, <laughs> I was just like, that's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and I got a singing teacher, and then here we are. So first <laughs> opera, um, first opera I was in was at university kind of went off to uni and knew that i liked opera a lot joined the opera ensemble and we did carmen um and i was a cigarette girl in carmen and i felt so cool they had these like little fake cigarettes that actually like (laughs) you had like the the vapor coming off i was it felt so cool
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um you know it's funny because it just means that like you don't have to go to the like regular operas that they make say that oh this is should be your first opera really any opera and if you're enthralled you will be enthralled. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here week after week. And thank you so much to Nicola for coming and chatting with us about BYO. Definitely check them out and everything that they're doing. They do amazing things for young artists who are really on the brink of their careers.
1: And for Opera UK as well, do check out those links. They'll be in the description. Um, Otherwise, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss a thing. We are AA Opera Pod everywhere.
0: And make sure to like and rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out. Give us a a five-star rating. I mean, why not? Take a second. It'll help us out immensely. It would really (laughs) help. We really would. Um, But yeah, and if you'd like to support this podcast, we are www.patreon.com forward slash AA Opera and you get some... uh, exciting things happening there we have a live stream coming up very soon and a potential uh, another watch party as well
1: and lastly thanks so much to prime phonic for sponsoring this podcast all of their links can be found below for now and that's it that's have it. a great week bye bye guys